You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Whenever I was young, when I was in high school, I looked exactly like I look now. No, no, that's what I'm saying. When I was in high school, I had this job, and uh, it was working at, it was called Canoe Outfitters of Florida. And at Canoe Outfitters of Florida, um, we would send about 70 boats down a day um, it, down the only national scenic river in Florida, the Loxahatchee River, okay? And my job was to um, unload the canoes, um, get the canoes down, and then uh, kind of get them ready, put cushions and paddles, and give everyone a map, and make sure, and I kind of tell them, like, make sure you take a right here, make sure you take a left here, don't wander down there, right? And then um, we would go to lunch, and it was about a five-hour trip down the river, Okay, and, um, and so they'd go down the river, and then we would show up after lunch, and we would begin then to take the canoes, take them out of the water, and load them, load them up, right? And um, what would happen every once in a while, uh, maybe every other weekend, is some joker would get lost, right? And, and, and there, there were a number of reasons why people would get lost in the river. Uh, some of them would, uh, would just make a wrong turn, and they wouldn't mean to get lost, but they would make a wrong turn, and they would end up like in the boonies, right? And terrified. And, uh, and, and then others would get like hammered drunk, right? And they would just, they start going backwards down the, like they would start going back to where they came and not realize it. And, and, and then others would just get tired. They were just tired. They were worn out. They didn't know it was going to be a five-hour trip. They thought they'd be going, you know, on this easy canoe trip, and uh, they'd get worn out. And so one of my jobs was I would have to go rescue them, right? And if I didn't rescue them, if I didn't find them, they would die. They would, they're snakes, there were alligators, there were like spiders that could kill you, uh, there, were, there, there were anacondas. I mean, it was crazy. It was, what? You know, well, anyway, there were snakes. And, anyway, and, and so people, if it wasn't, I was the rescuer. I would go find these people. One time we had to call a helicopter. Someone got so lost. And, and, and it, was, it was, people would get terrified in there. And, uh, and I would ha- and, and what, what bothered me the most, it, I would get ticked off because I had to paddle up, up current and go find these people. And so I'd have to go back in the creeks. I'd have to do all these things. And then when I found them, I'd have to like tie their boat to my boat. And then i had to like paddle them back to shore. I didn't get paid anymore. I ended up going home late. It was a real pain in the rear, to say the least. And, uh, and, and again, it's just, it wasn't fun at all. And, uh, and I say that because I think this is a shadow or a story, a metaphor of our journey in life is that we all start off uh, kind of at the same place at, at different times in our life. We kind of start off on this journey. And over time, what happens is we, we take a wrong turn, and we en- end up in a place that we, we didn't plan on being, and, and we're lost. You know, some of us get lost because of wild living, uh, you know, like the person on the river got hammered drunk or whatever. Some of us get lost because we get tired, and we get worn out, and we give up. You know, there's lots of reasons why we get lost. Um, but the truth of the gospel is that we have a savior who comes for us. We have a rescuer who comes for us. And Easter is the celebration of God's rescue plan. It says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still lost, while we were down the river, while we were where we shouldn't be, while we were separated from God because of our sin, still sinners, Christ died for us. He came for us. He rescued us. We've been spending time on the prodigal son. And this story is a great story whenever it comes to learning about and understanding God's rescue plan. I'm going to recap the story because I know we have visitors here. I know that our church is probably tired of hearing me tell this story. This is the last week, though, and we're going to talk about exactly what David was saying, that we're a new creation, that this is the beginning of a new creation today is. And uh, we're going to begin a series called The New Creation after this Sunday, but I need to recap the prodigal story. So the prodigal story is a story of two lost brothers, okay? One gets lost by sinning and wild living by doing what's bad. The other son gets lost by doing what is good. By doing what is good. And we talked about the elder brother last week. We would really encourage you to take a look at that. Okay? But the first son goes to the father, and he wants to go his own way. He wants to take his own path down the river. He doesn't want to follow the father's path. He wants independence from the father. So he goes to the father, and he says, yo, dad, I want what's mine. And going to the father before he was dead and asking for his inheritance is kind of like saying, I wish you were dead. Because I want what you owe me when you die right now. And so what the father did is he, he would have had to sell his land because that was kind of the commodity of the time. And that's what the, the kind of Greek word talks about when he had to give, his, give him his inheritance. So he would have sold a third of his land and he gave it to his son, gave the money to his son. And the son took it and it says that he left and spent it on wild living, on women who were in prostitution, on uh, just you know, getting hammered drunk, just playing, and just spending all the money that he had very recklessly. He ran out of money, and he finds himself in a pigsty, and just covered in in nastiness, starving to the point where he was going to eat and wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. But they wouldn't left him. He came to his senses, it says, and he says, man, my dad, he has lots of hired hands. Uh, uh, Certainly, I could go back there and get a job and, and he, I could get good food. I could get bread. I could, you know, I, that'd, be, that'd be great. And so he, he plans this talk, and he plans this strategy. As he said, I'm going to go back, tell, the fa- tell my father, um, forgive me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, will you please hire me back as a hired hand? Not even wanting to be a son. And, uh, and the story goes on, and it says, while the son was a long way off, the father saw him, and he made a beeline for him. He ran to him. It's one of the best pictures we have of God's love for us, isn't it? That God the Father would just run towards us. And that's in the first talk. I talk about the love of the Father being wrapped up uh, and desiring for the Son to know that he loves him. And the way the Father demonstrated that, before he even got to give his speech out, he said, he said, bring him my robe, the best robe in the house. Bring him and put on his finger the ring of our family, meaning that he was bringing him back into the family. You know, put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate for this son of mine that is lost is now found. Great story, right? We all love that story because we're thinking like, that's me. God's running towards me. Hallelujah. Or whatever, right? Okay, now we have the elder brother. Now, the elder brother is walking in from working the fields, which he always did. He was perfectly obedient to the father. 
Okay, so he's walking in, and he hears this party going on. And he's like, what the what? And he's like, calls a servant over, and he says, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come back home, and your father is so excited that his son who was lost is found. He has killed a fatted calf. He has killed the fatted calf, and he's called the neighborhood together. He's called the family together, and they're having a feast to celebrate this. But this makes the brother angry. He isn't happy that his brother has come home. He's angry. But like the younger son, the father goes out to him during the party, and he pleads with him to come in and be a part of the feast. So both are lost. Each brother is lost. One because of being bad. One because of being good. Wrapped up in his pride and his self-righteousness. Believing. Believing. I've done everything right, God. I've done everything right, Father. You owe me. And so when the Father doesn't give him what he thinks he deserves, he becomes lost. He turns his back on his Father. Demonstrating, I don't want you, Father. I want the things that you have just like the younger son. Okay, this story takes place in the context of three parables. This is the third of three parables. And that's relevant because Jesus, as he's talking to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, he's also talking to the lost sinner. Okay, the people who are bad, and he's talking to the people who are bad and the people who are good. Okay, and there's these three parables. The first, and it's called the lost parables, Luke 15. The first parable uh, that Jesus tells is about this shepherd that has 100 sheep, right? And one of the sheep wanders off. And, and, and he wanders off and gets lost. He goes down a part of the river that he shouldn't be down. And what does the good shepherd do? He goes after him. He goes after him, risking the 99. He, he, he goes after this sheep, okay? And then when he finds them, he throws a celebration. He throws a party. He calls his neighbors, and they throw a party. Now, this is what you need to know about sheep. Okay, because we're the sheep in the story, right? And Jesus is the good shepherd. We're the sheep. And, and, and back in the day, people would have been offended at this because sheep are as dumb as a bag of hammers, right? They, 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 they could not be herded. They had to use dogs to scare them to get them to move. They would not drink running water. They would not follow each other. They wouldn't do any of these things. And, and, and so what would happen to a sheep is they would like put their head down and they would eat, 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 eat. I'm going to be eating. I'm going to be eating. I'm eating over here. I'm eating over here. I'm eating over here. And before they knew it, they would look up and they wouldn't see anybody. The, 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 the flock was gone. And they'd be like, what the? Where did everybody go? And here's the thing about sheep is they have no ability to get back. They cannot get back on their own. They are totally dependent on the shepherd coming for them. And if he doesn't, they would remain lost forever. Remember, we're the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd, and he's on a rescue plan. The second parable, similar to this one, is about a woman who has 10 gold coins. One of the coins gets lost, and it rolls into a dark corner of the room. And, the, and this woman, even though she has nine coins still, she begins to go cray-cray, flipping over tables, lifting up the carpet, you know, pushing things aside, all in an effort to find this lost coin. And when she finds it, guess what she does? She rejoices, she calls the neighbors together, and they have a party, just like 
the good shepherd, right? They have a, a big feast. They have this party, and it's amazing because she says, come and celebrate with me because this coin that was lost is now found, right? Now, we're the coin, but I'm not going to go into the analogy of how we're the coin or any of those things because I'm not even sure there is one, okay? Now, and, this thir- and, and the fact that we're sheep is just devastating, you know? It, it, it just it hits right here, especially those of us who are elder brothers who think, ah, I got it together, you know? I know what's what. And so anyway, no, you're a sheep too. Okay, in this third parable, we see a, a similar pattern, but we see a difference. Okay, what's similar about this? There's a lost son, right? He comes home, and there's a celebration, and the father gathers Everybody in the town, he gathers his family, and he says, the son of mine that was lost is now found. I'm so happy. Let's celebrate. And what do they do? They have a party, right? And so, unlike though, the other three parables, there's something different. In this parable, there's no one that goes after the lost son, right? That's the difference in the parable. The first two the good shepherd goes after the lost sheep. The woman who lost the coin goes after there. But no one comes after the lost son. And what it appears like is that the father lets him back into the family at no expense. There is no price paid to make things right. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is that while we were still sinners, God sent his son to pay the price of sin, the debt that we owed, so that we could be restored in our relationship with the father. But in this story, it doesn't look like that happens. It looks like the father just lets them back in. But the gospel says, if there has been a broken relationship, someone has to pay the price for it to be restored. If if something you have has been broken, someone has to pay the price for it to be restored, okay? Now, now this is just basic life. If someone takes your car, right, and they wreck it, they take your car and they wreck it. How many of you have had a car that you've loaned to someone and someone's wrecked it? One, two, three, four. You guys are more generous than the first crowd. There was one in the first morning. Y'all are much more generous I'm sorry that your car got wrecked, but what happens? If you want to drive your car again, there are two things that can happen. Either the person who wrecked it can pay for it to be made right, the car to be fixed, but if they decide not to, then the burden is on you. Even though they wrecked it, the burden is on you to fix the car if you want to drive it again. If you don't want to drive it again, you want to leave it broken, then you don't do anything. But the same is true in relationship. When we're in a broken relationship with someone, someone does something wrong to us, someone hurts us, they shame us, or they do whatever, the same thing exists. Okay, and this is a parallel with God. We've turned our back on God, and something has to be done to restore that. Okay, one thing that can happen is the person who hurt you could come back to you and ask for forgiveness so that the relationship can be restored. The other thing that you would have to do if that person didn't do that is you would have to move towards them and extend them grace. And grace is you carrying the burden of what someone has done wrong to you so that the relationship can be restored. But here's the deal with God. 
is that there's nothing that we can do to restore our relationship with God. The Bible tells us that. Only Jesus and the cost of his life on the cross could restore our relationship with the Father. Because he was perfect and he lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the Father's desires in every way. He fulfilled the law in every way. He did what we couldn't do to pay the price, to pay our debt. He extends us grace so that our relationship with the Father can be restored. He fixes a burden that we cannot carry. But in this story, it doesn't look like that's what happens. In this story, the younger brother, he breaks up the family. He breaks up the family wealth. He turns his back on the father. But then he comes to his his senses and he comes back. And the father runs to him and takes him back in, even though it appears that nothing, there's been no cost to anybody. And this is how the world sees God. A lot of the world sees God this way. Oh, God, he's just loving. He is great. He offers us grace. We can do what we want, when we want, and how we want because God is loving. Look at the story of the prodigal son. He just takes him back in and, you know, you know, what, what's, you know sin doesn't matter. You know, Jesus, you know, yeah, Jesus is a good person, but we don't need that. The Father just loves us too much. He loves everyone and everything. He's just going to take us back in. But there is someone in the story that paid the price. You see, when the elder brother, or when the the younger brother left and the property was divided, one third went to the younger brother because that's what would happen. But the older brother, the elder brother, would have gotten two-thirds of the property. That would have been promised to him whenever the father died, right? And so his job then was to hold the family business together the oldest brother. So he was given more, so he would keep the family together. He would work to provide for the children, to make sure the family business was taken care of, they would prosper. He would kind of hold things together, so he was given more. But what happens in the story? The younger brother comes back, and the elder brother sees the father giving away his ring, giving away his robe, giving away his sandals, giving away his fattened calf, and it makes him angry. The younger son is is, is coming back, but who is paying the price? The elder brother, because everything the father owns now, he says this to him, everything I own now belongs to you. And that's a literal statement. And so, The elder brother is paying the price for the younger brother to come back. But is he joyful? No. Is he loving? No. He doesn't want the younger brother to come back because it's going to cost him. And he's angry with the father. Why? You know, this son of yours, he says that, this son of yours has gone off in wild living, gone off with prostitutes. He's irresponsible. I can't believe. He's dumb as a bag of hammers. You've let him back in at my expense. Jesus, in this story, intentionally leaves out himself. In the first two stories, Jesus is obvious. But in this story, he intentionally leaves himself out of it. Why would he do that? 
He does that because he wants to communicate to us that he is the true elder brother. And he wants us to long for a brother that will love us. He wants us to long for a brother that will come for us. You see, back in the ancient Near East, the older brother not only would have been given the, the lion's share of the, the estate, and not only would have been charged with taking care of the family, but a good older brother, what would he have done? He would have seen the pain on the father's face of losing his younger son. And he would have gone to the father, and he would have said, Father, I'll go after my younger brother. Even though he's thrown his life away, I'll find him. I, I will bring him back, even if it costs me, even if it's at my expense. And that's the younger brother. That's what the younger brother needed. He needed a good older brother. But that's not what he got, is it? He got a religious person. He got a Pharisee. He got someone who didn't want to make the sacrifice. But Jesus is the true elder brother. Jesus comes after us because he loves us and because he loves the Father. He comes after us because of the joy that we are to him. In Hebrews it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy that was set before him is us. We are his joy. He endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sits at the right hand of the Father because he loved the Father, was obedient to the Father, but he came after us because we are his joy. We are all like the lost sheep who have gone astray, done our own thing, and we feel in our life, some of us feel in our life, death. We feel the brokenness, the loneliness. We feel afraid because we're separated from the Father, outside of the flock. And Jesus, the good shepherd, he comes for us. And we are all like the golden coin. In one way or another, there are times in our life when we're going down the river and we find our place in a dark, dark place. Maybe a place that people don't even know about in our life. And Jesus comes after us. He stops at nothing to take us from the dark, to take us from death, and bring us to life, and bring us to light. On the cross, Jesus Christ was stripped naked so that we could be clothed in the robe of righteousness and honor that we don't deserve. Jesus was giving a, given a crown of thorns so we could be given the family ring and taken back and restored into our relationship with the Father. Jesus, Jesus lost his relationship with the Father so ours could be restored. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt that we owe. Jesus, the perfect brother, rescues us, comes for us, and he saves us. He pays the price for us to come home. He pays our debt. And this morning, we celebrate that sacrifice. But more than that, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' invitation into new life for us to be a new creation. This morning, if we accept the invitation of what Christ has done to bring us back into the family, we become resurrected. 
we become like Jesus. The promise of eternal life now, life to the full now, and the promise of eternal life forever. That we will never die, but we will live forever. C.S. Lewis says that we are immortal. We will never die. The difference between each of us is whether or not we will receive the gift that Jesus has died to give us and come back into the Father's family and live eternally with him, or we will say no to the gift and turn our back on the Father and live away from him for eternity. But the invitation this morning is to be resurrected, to find new life with Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And here's the promise. You might be thinking, man, I'm too far down the river. If you knew what I've done, if you knew the darkness I was in, I don't know if Jesus would come for me. But what you're saying is the cross isn't enough for you. That you somehow need more than the sacrifice that Jesus has paid for you. The Bible says that everyone, each one of us, no matter how far down the river we are, no matter how lost we are, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. We will be resurrected. We will have a new life that is for eternity. The Father comes to you this morning. He comes to me this morning, and he invites us into the greatest feast, into the greatest life. The price has been paid for you by Jesus, the perfect brother. He pleads with with you to come in and celebrate your new life, your resurrected life. Christ has risen, and we have risen indeed. Let's stand. If you're a visitor to River City Church, one of the things that we do every week is that we create space for you to allow the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the move and the power and the love of God to come and, and take root in your heart. That what we, what we teach and what we say and what we experience in worship just doesn't stay up, it doesn't stay here, but it moves to our heart. Because it's only when our heart is melted with the love of the Father the love of Jesus Christ, that our life will change. If it stays up here, if Jesus stays a historical figure, we, we won't receive and become who he's created us to be. The gospel has to take root in our heart. And the way that that happens, the only way that that happens is through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's his job, is to testify, to make real the good news of Jesus Christ in our heart. And so every, every Sunday, we invite people forward. We ask people to engage where they, they are. And, and we just ask you to give God some space. Give the Holy Spirit some space to make real what you've just heard, that you are invited into a great feast, no matter who you are or where you are. Jesus has paid the price. Will you receive the invitation? So I'm going to pray, and what I would ask you to do is, is maybe you close your eyes so you're not distracted by people around you. 
And I'm going to pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to come. The Father says, if you want the Spirit, just ask for Him to come. So I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and to speak to you, to encourage you, to bring what you believe in your head to your heart, to melt your heart that you would fall in love with Jesus. Some of you for the first time, some of you again. But the invitation is for us all. Let's pray. There'll be other stuff that he does also, but we'll start there. Father, we thank you uh, that you have made up the difference by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that our relationship with you could be restored. We also thank you that by your glory, through your glory, it was your desire to resurrect him so that we too would be resurrected with him one day into a new creation. Father, we ask for you to send your spirit right now. Come, Holy Spirit, that you would make this truth real in our life, that you would melt our hearts with this reality that we would change and be transformed and live differently as a result of our love for Jesus and understanding his love for us. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just come, Lord. Speak to us. Now, we're just waiting. We're opening our hearts to him, and we're listening with our heart to what he says to us through his spirit. Just come, Holy Spirit.